Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. And we are absolutely delighted and very excited to say that Damien Brown has joined us in studio. Good morning to you, Damien. Good morning, Adrian. How are you keeping? I'm great. Uh, The beard is gone is the main thing. It's the first time people will have, a lot of people will have been uh, aware that there's there's a man behind the beard. Been cleaned up a little bit, uh, beard gone, haircut, and uh, feeling great, feeling fresh, you know, apart from a few kind of physical things that'll be around for a while, overuse stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the do you get attached to the beard or are you like I'd like it off now and I feel a restorative aspect of actually it being off or how do you feel about it? No, I wanted it off immediately. Did you? Yeah, but um, uh, we have a documentary in progress and they wanted to do interviews and some shots and that sort of. So I had a kind of I said, lads, you got ten days uh, and then yeah. it's coming off. So yeah. so I was very uh, very happy to see it go. It's. Uh, I mean, I was finding bits of food in it there some days, which is grand on the ocean. Like, yeah, but, yeah. Know, happy days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little, a little uh, afternoon snack, but um, no, it was, it was, I was happy to see it on the floor of the bathroom. Um, there's loads to get to. We've got a half an hour to chat, and it's never going to do the full uh, thing justice. The podcast is out there, and uh, highly recommend that people listen back to it. And I've been following it all the way through. As it says, it's New York to Galway. It's uh, five thousand kilometres, and it's unsupported. And that's the nutshell, I suppose, of the um, of the row. Um, what have the last ten days been like for you since you've been back and readjusting almost? The first thirty six hours, I. Didn't know right from wrong, up from down. It was a bit of a whirlwind, you know. Um, I think it would have been that way anyway, but the way things ended on the Monday night, Tuesday morning kind of accentuated that fact, you know. Um, but then it's kind of, since then, it's just been a kind of slow wean back into, I suppose, everyday life and uh, routine. And I, you know, felt pretty good, surprisingly, because I was um, a little bit concerned about that. Um, getting back into society mm. becomes so insular mm. um, and your thoughts become quite selfish you know everything is about yourself like on the boat you know and um, constantly kind of monitoring yourself so I, I could see that you know I was aware of that and I was like geez, when you get back you know <laughs> you're, you're a dad mm. you're a, you know you're a partner in a relationship you know you can't be just thinking about yourself so I was worried about that but um, it hasn't been as kind of bad as it hasn't been as um, affecting me as I expected it would you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the how has the that reacclimatization been versus the other expeditions that you've done? Has it been harder to get back into it? I mean, I know you say you've been nicely surprised by the lack of selfishness, almost mm. in some regards. But has how different has it been from the others? It, it, the only the big difference, I suppose, was that first thirty six hours. Like normally, I like it, when I lasted in Ocean Row, so sixty three days, and I ended up in Antigua. Um, I just felt like. I slotted back in straight away to my, you know, to my family were there and that, you know, so just to um, been, uh, I suppose, um, a functioning human in society. Whereas this time I just didn't, I just couldn't connect with things like I couldn't connect with emotions. Like, you know, people are asking me, how are you feeling that first 36 hours? I was like, I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm just here like I'm here, you know, so that was that was unusual. I never had that before. Uh, and obviously the attention uh, in that period as well was intense, you know. So 
you're trying to give everyone a little bit of your time because I'm very grateful and appreciative of anyone who, you know, I suppose was touched by the story and, and came to let me know that. But uh, <laughs> it can be a bit overwhelming as well, right? You're getting, you know, like my partner, Rizal, was getting kind of elbowed out of the way, like on, <laughs> in the docks in Galway. People wanted to get at you. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, not a normal everyday um, thing. And uh, just trying to do, just trying to kind of... Um, and kind of, I suppose, navigate that was was a little bit unusual. Mm. The, the symbolism, nearly of of the the Manhattan skyline, Damien, the kind of disappearing behind you, mm. and like the, obviously Gussie was on the boat as well. Uh, 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 Fergus was on the boat at that point as well. Um, like, did that in any way heighten how big a, a task it was going to be? Because you're thinking then, well, Jesus, Galway. If you took a flight to go away from here, it would be fairly fairly arduous, you know. So. Did that kind of put things into context for you when you saw the, the skyline slowly disappear in the in the, the rearview mirror? A little bit, like it was, so. The skyline was one thing, and also the, the harbour itself. Navigating that, like there was, it's like this car park for giant cargo ships, you know. So it wasn't as if we could just kind of switch off. We, you know, had to navigate this. You know, one of the, I presume it's one of the busiest harbours in the world, right? Uh, it's New York and Newark and New Jersey all in one. So. Um, at one point we were leaving and there was one of those big Danish um, masks, I think they're called, the Danish shipping company. And, uh, you know, I was kind of guy, Gus was rowing, I was kind of guiding them and I was like, hang on a second, no, I don't know what this guy's doing, like, you know, talking about this 300 metre cargo ship. And all of a sudden the engines cranked up and uh, like there was, normally there was a bit of radio communication between us and the other ships and we tried to hail them, didn't hear anything. And literally if we had kept going, like this thing just, I don't know if he didn't see us, I probably didn't like, and he just like right in our line, um, about 50 meters, 75 meters in front of us. Like, so, you know, (laughs) this is the things you kind of had to deal with. Um, So that, that was like, that was, uh, and a time where we had to be hyper alert, you know, to what's happening because there's a lot that can go wrong there. Once we were clear of that and kind of the last ships, and, and I'm talking that took about a day and a half to get through through all of that. Um, you know, we kind of could relax a little bit, you know, because you're in the a grand expanse then. Mm-hmm. What was it? I followed the pod all the way through, and it kind of felt like, even though obviously ultimately it was just yourself, and before that for the thirteen days it was yourself and Fergus, it felt like there was a cast of characters almost, like between Cushion McCree, the weather, the water, mm-hmm. uh, the various elements, the para anchor. It just felt like this cast of characters that every day you were getting a bit of an update on. You know, there was a real humanization of non-human things almost in a lot of ways. Yeah, especially with Cushion McCree, because I mean, oh, I without her right I don't get across like it's kind of your like valiant steed nearly yeah. to a certain extent it, it feels like if you feel an emotional attachment to the boat you do yeah because um, she she guided me through such adversity such crap like with the weather you know like the storms and everything and she took such a beating so you do you become like she becomes a, a kind of like a, a like you said a human character nearly and uh, um you become very grateful for her um, uh, resilience and her uh, propensity to take um, a battering and to keep going and to keep going, you know. So um, she was, uh, and I, I, that's the way I talked about her on the podcast, us, and she, like, she was, she was like the, um, she took Gussie's place as the kind of second in <laughs> command as we, as we uh, trucked along. 
There, there is that. We, we mentioned Castaway earlier, and uh, I've professed my love for, for Castaway as a movie uh, right. plenty of times in the show. But uh, And there were physical resemblances as well with the beard with sure. the, Tom Hanks. Um, but there is something on that in the inanimate, inanimate objects. And even listening to the podcast, I think there was, wasn't there one episode, not to compare it to Wilson the volleyball drifting off into the distance with a spoon went overboard. Mm. I was thinking to myself, I was like, Jesus, a disaster, the spoon's gone. <laughs> it's just a spoon at the end of the day, but yeah. people got so invested and, and, and involved in your experience that little moments like that just became huge things. Yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, kind of from start to finish, it was like the boat was been stripped of things, you know, <laughs> through capsizes and just through the challenges and the conditions we were going through. Um, thankfully, there was always some sort of solution. You know, you bring, you try and at least um, foresee what can happen and bring like spares and spares and spares. But that spoon was like the fourth spoon. Uh, we we as a group had lost. I think go see it. Uh, something that happened a couple of go sees. But it was very. Um, I, that meant you know like I had to start drinking the food. You know, so I had to just. Uh, which had its challenges as well because then I had to make a little bit more water which means I have to have more power but at that last six, seven weeks it was like nearly total cloud cover so I wasn't getting much power from the solar uh, through the sun, you know Uh, so my battery started to diminish so much so that like kind of getting into Goa Bay I was on like 20% battery power which you know, is is, is uh, very concerning. You know, because they can just pe- they can just discharge, and then I don't I can't make water. Don't have any comms. Don't have GPS. So like, there's all sorts of things that you kind of have to be aware of and trying to manage. You know, so a little spoon like that can have a grand effect on the bigger thing. You know, yeah. What um, we chatted a little bit before we came on air about like the busyness of the last ten days, and um, have you had? Did you get a chance to sit down with Fergus and have a chat with him? Or yeah, yeah. We sat down um, a couple of days ago. Now it was a little bit full, kind of because it was part of the documentary, okay. right? And the conversation was led a little bit there. But um, first and foremost, when I saw him on the dock in Galway, like I didn't know, like I had a lot of um, anger and resentment towards him at times when things got really tough, like when I was blown back time and time again, facing headwinds. Because if he was there, that you know the boat would have never really gone backwards, mm-hmm. only in very very big conditions. So. Um, it kind of ground me down a little bit. I was fine for a few weeks. The first few weeks, I didn't. It didn't bother me. But when like it got really, really tough, at, um, that's just where uh, my emotions went, you know. And he became the kind of projection of them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as an entity. As a, so, but uh, when I got through the islands in um, the Iron Islands, through Inishman and Inishir, and I felt like I'd kind of that was always the. I suppose picture that I felt I always felt Galway Bay was safe obviously mm. you know the, the reality was a bit different but so I had this like that meant that I had this uh, I felt like I had kind of accomplished what I wanted to accomplish and I had this kind of wash of forgiveness like this huge like uh, you know I was very aware of it you know that like um, I I I I wasn't angry with him anymore. It, it didn't really matter. It didn't serve me in any way to have any sort of negative emotion towards him. So um, when I saw him on the dock, it was, uh, you know, it was, um, even though I, there was still an unknown how I'd react, I was kind of very happy and content to see that I was delighted to see him and he looked great. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I was kind of nearly waiting for, to see how he'd react when in his presence, you know, mm. and then the reaction was very positive. So that was great. Anger is a big emotion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had some big emotions out there. Yeah, yeah because um, the extremes of it, you know, uh, and the uh, the fact that I had no real outlets, you know, yeah. so it just built and built and built. Yeah, because yeah. it, it, it felt like listening to the pod for the first couple of weeks, there was a tension there between you almost, even over that period of time where 
he was clearly struggling mm. with the workload and you were just hungry for miles, miles, miles. Yeah. Is that fair enough? That, that Very. Yeah. yeah, very much so, yeah. We had a massive blowout in New York just before we were about to leave and that was all to do with the pressure, uh, the unknowns. Um, you know, we'd been running around New York for 16, 17 days, no real no real relent no like space to relax you know so I think it just built and built and built and probably left a little bit of a hangover but mm. you know just uh, you know I didn't find that first two weeks particularly hard and he did you know and um, I was pushing him like crazy pushing pushing first because I knew the um, importance of getting away from New York and, and that there was make and break and he wasn't really like he was doing the work like he's a really good soldier like that he'll do the work do the work but he was uh, outside of that he was really kind of uh, struggling with his own kind of frustrations you know and uh, that was kind of having a little bit of effect on me even though I was trying not to let it affect me so I think that just built the tension you know in the relationship um, yeah but uh I'm happy to say <laughs> uh, once I kind of completed what I wanted to complete it was all good yeah and like in some ways almost the I remember we chatted to you a couple of times before you went and it was never designed I remember asking you at one point like what happens if only something happens or whatever and you were like not even counting I'm sure you, I'm sure it was in your thoughts somewhere but you weren't countenancing the idea that mm. it was anything but uh, a two man effort but in some ways almost given that aspect of it and as I said you wouldn't have designed it that way but like that wouldn't that couldn't have continued for whatever it would have been at that point yeah. 90 days or whatever like in some ways while you never would have designed it that way maybe that was for the best yeah i think that's the the uh, the, the reality of the situation maybe it was for the best you know cuz as you like what would have happened i don't know but it wouldn't have been good yeah. you know if that had continued some sort of volcano was kind of rumbling and it was it was going to blow up like so uh, now, saying that though, I did see him come round a little bit, like because um, he was really struggling day eight, day nine, day ten. Um, I think you could see it in his eyes, like um, yeah. he was he was fearful, he was scared, he was he had the realization this was like out of his probably capacities, unfortunately. Uh, um, and I don't know if he had some sort of acceptance around that or what, but like the kind of day 11, we got in the water at one point and there was a few things you could see him kind of release a little bit of his own frustrations, but then physically he just broke down on day 12 and there was, um, obviously it was, it was no, there was no off question he, end, had to, yeah. he had to come off the boat. So, it, and yeah, the reality is that that probably was, um, the best thing that could happen unfortunately what um, the workload that you had to do then in his absence that you've mentioned in terms of the mental aspect of it physically were you like how much extra did you have to do physically because he wasn't there was that was that would you've done roughly the same thing anyway or was it was this an additional roughly the same time I actually had to dial off a little bit myself even so we were on 12 hours a day each you know yeah. um, and I had this kind of five day period post him leaving where I that's what the demands I kind of placed on myself but it was, it was too much uh, and that was really difficult to accept I have to say um, because of my belief in my own capacities uh, but I just it was uh, I was at this real I was in this real state of frustration I was it was hard conditions opposed to him leaving um, but yeah those that frustration was building and building and I could see myself like it just wasn't um, sustainable you know so I had to dial back so I dialed back to ten and a half ten hours to start and then I went to ten and a half and I built it up to where by the end of the expedition I was back to twelve hours and more um, depending on the day but um, 
yeah, it was the, the the acceptance around that took five or six days, and it was it was tough to accept it. Yeah, it, it almost reminds it's like um, Apollo Eleven when Armstrong and Aldrin go down to the moon, and Michael Collins is left by himself then to kind of circle the moon and be alone in his in his own thoughts. Like that isolation was it was it heightened massively when when Fergus left? Was there a complete change in your in your dynamic mentally? Mm. Yeah, it's a total different dynamic, right? So. I think when you're in the presence of anyone, uh, unless you're some sort of psychopath, you can't be affected by, you have to be affected by them and their emotions and what they're doing. And especially me, I'm I, like, I was the, uh, I had all the responsibility, you know, I was leading that. So I was also watching him and what he's doing and trying to, he, he can be like, I mean, I'm not bashing the guy here. It's just, he, he can be a bit lazy mentally, like, and especially when you're under such stress, you know, so I, I, I kind of have to keep an eye on him, you know, so it's very hard for me, um, to concentrate on my own stuff even though it's vital like you know because any movement or bad movement on that boat and you could be kicked off or any mistake you make so you have to be you know very um, tuned into how you're moving around the boat and how you're behaving uh, so when he was when he had left then it was it was basically a case of kind of uh, even though I'm you know so I'm very comfortable in my own company clearly um, so I was, I was able to kind of switch into a much more um, enjoyable and a much more kind of habituated way of thinking after that um, it was really interesting to follow on the on the pod, like the highs and the lows, right? Because there were sort of real kind of extremes, and you're exactly like you've said there, sort of analysing everything because it's like you're in your own head and that's it. Is that the way you are normally anyway, or is that just like Shane says, is it's heightened out there, or is that you when you're walking down the street, kind of going weighing things up? Uh, well, I mean. Less so in the world, yeah, less so in a survival state, like this, yeah. you know, what's a threat, which is like it is on, you know, you're like watching everything because it can compromise the thing you've tried, you're, you know, you're trying to achieve. So, uh, but I, I do have, um, I like to think I'm quite present and I do pay attention, you know, in everyday yeah. life to everything that's happening around me. But, you know, I wasn't walking down Grafton Street there going, what's a threat here? Yeah, on it like a shot, like. <laughs> Um, and and the one of the quotes that I saw uh, read there, he said, "It's nice to be alive." And it was hard to get a sense of what was big on the pod. Like you know, you get capsized, and I'm like, "Oh, geez, that's huge! Is this is it all over?" And you were like, "I mean, it was big, mm. but it was like it's all manageable." Was there a point where you felt, when you say it's nice to be alive, was there a point where you felt I might not be getting out of this? Oh, day 24, I always come back to that storm. I was like, I think it was just downgraded from a tropical storm coming off, um, uh, coming from the Caribbean up the east coast of America. And uh, I ended up, I put out the power anchor, ended up capsizing three times while on power anchor. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just, that's not meant to happen. Like, that's unusual. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had to be told that. Like, I was like, is this, I've never, you know, because I, I used power anchor a few times up to in the previous row and in this row. And I was like, I didn't think that happened. I was asking the guy who didn't, my land support and weather out and Chris was his name mm. and he was like no that's highly unusual I was like I thought so yeah so but um, that was like about 19 or 20 hours I can't remember exactly that storm as it passed through and uh, I capsized the f three times in the first five or six hours of that 
and then the next that next 14 hours were the longest hours of my life whatever 13, 14, 15 hours whatever it was because you're just sitting in this cabin that's like airtight and sealed and like it's getting boomed around and mm-hmm. flushed around by the waves and um, you're it's just in a state of anticipation for the next capsize and you know, you just clearly don't want that to happen, you know, because I'd had some um, water ingress through a mistake of mine. I was meant to, I've a, you know, a hatch has the hatch um, has a uh, vent in it for air. Mm. Now it's it's a very minimal amount of air, but it's something. And I thought I had locked that, but I hadn't. And what had happened during the capsize that water had rushed in through it. Uh, so that's a big threat, you know, any water into the electrics. Uh, so then for the next uh, whatever that was 14 hours you know you're just sitting there waiting for this kind of thing to come listening you can hear the waves and they make different sounds and you know the ones that are um, possible capsizes they kind of hiss like the wave has broken and then it hisses along and you're just lying there going is this the one and you're kind of your arms shoot out when you hear that hissing and your feet go to the sides you know and then it doesn't knock you over and then you know you're waiting you're waiting is the next one coming so there's no water coming in there you're just in there in an airtight bubble yeah yeah holding on kind of waiting for that kind of capsize to come that did thankfully never came but that doesn't mean the um, the anticipation of it is you know you still have to live through that which is the the real drain like in the real kind of hard you know dark enough moments like so that that like I was genuinely kind of scared in that uh, in those hours just waiting 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 Um, but after that I didn't really have anything you know on that same level thankfully does it write itself it does, yeah, sorry, yeah, it goes uh, either 180, depending on the power of the wave, it'll go 180 into the water and pop back up, or it'll go the full 360, which it did in those moments. And, yeah, it's like being in a washing machine, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that day 24 storm that you mentioned, and I, and I think even on the podcast you said that, it was the first time I was scared for the expedition. Yeah. Uh, I found the wording of that fascinating, that I'm scared for the ex- expedition as opposed to scared for myself. Like, was there, is there an element of that? It's the old, old Tom Wolfe right stuff book where he's talking about the fear of embarrassment and the fear of failure nearly being uh, more than the fear of death. Like, was it was was that the attitude you almost had in your head that look, uh, I need to need to achieve this regardless. Uh, so you're almost having uh, a fear of of not not accomplishing it yeah. above all else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that comes back to that piece I was talking about. Just been really attentive around all the kind of threats that are out there and trying to mitigate them. You know, that's where you might concentration and focus goes um, because you know I've put three and a half years of work into it and made it kind of realised it and got it going and now it's time to actually kind of bring it to the other side of the ocean basically and, and that just it doesn't happen from uh, very little energy it takes huge amounts of energy and focus so like when you're out there then that's all multiplied right you know you're you're watching everything like a hawk and um, and the big threat and the big worry is failure yeah yeah and, and not achieving what you want to achieve so uh, that's where my focus goes anyway to where you know the things that can stop us and on that day um, water ingress you know fl- frying all the electrics that would mean game over like I'd be safe right you know still doesn't mean I wasn't scared but you know if I'd just be rescued then after that but the whole thing would go down the drain and like there's the there's the demoralising nature as well of of some mornings I'm sure waking up and realising that you've you've gone backwards. Yeah. I mean you've you've been you know expending so much energy the day before, uh, and then you wake up and you see right Jesus how did I end up here? Yeah. Um, and you know it's co- of course because of the weather and the winds and whatever else. But uh, how, how do you manage that? Because I can't imagine psychologically trying to deal with that when you're already physically in bits, but you're trying to then process I've gone backwards. 
overnight so like it, it must be demoralising oh it's heartbreaking crushing sometimes those first few strokes every morning as well even like so right it's happened so I accept it and I, I kind of became desensitised to actually going backwards although it was always like hit me you know yeah. um, it became less and less but the first few strokes then in the day are absolutely vital and you kind of you all like I'm an optimist and I always have hope every, I, I had a modicum of hope at least it was constantly chopped away and weaned down as I went but it was still there and I'd, you'd almost hold your breath for those first few strokes to see your sp- I'd be looking at the speed and if it wasn't of the boat you know and if it wasn't over about two knots I'd know I'm in for a really long hard day and probably every time I drop the oars I'm going backwards which is I have to I have to rest at some point right mm-hmm. um, and, and that's hard to deal with again you're thinking forward from the day and you're like oh man here we go again like I'm just going today is you know a fight it's going to be a fight to get this boat to move forward and uh, over time that becomes really 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 challenging you know it's just like you've only got so much energy and there's so much kind of drive to, to kind of get back into that fight and you just after a while you just want I pray for an easy day just give me just give me something from you know give me a bit of um, wind behind the boat just give me something and yeah um uh, yeah, I, I hit despair a few times. Like there's an absolute like, just why is this so hard? Why can't I get any luck? I didn't have any luck with the weather. Like mm. it, was, it was just yeah, yeah, just constantly. Um, so the first half took forty four days. The second half took sixty eight days to get across, and I all had headwinds, headwinds because just you know, no, uh, yeah, no fortune really, unfortunately. Where is the boat this morning? She's not in Rye, actually, right. in Gussie's yard. Right. She's, she deserves a bit of chilling out. She's she does. Out the stud for a, while. a bit of TLC. <laughs> She's pretty uh, beaten up, but somehow she she took that beating on the rocks in Furbo for uh, whatever it was, seven or eight hours. Serious beating, yeah. wasn't it? It was, it was, it was yeah. It looks very damaged. Yeah, yeah. Um, thankfully, just really, like, amazing people yeah. were there to um, to help. Like, they, they've literally got out of bed at all hours of the morning and as I was leaving Furbo um, with uh, MacDara who managed the project and just lives in Barna which is only like a couple of miles down the road so I rang him <laughs> from the rocks uh, he couldn't get any closer to his house honestly like. <laughs> the first person that came into my mind so I rang Chris my land supports just to let him know the EPIRB was the electric um the beacon, the emergency beacon was off and he needed to coordinate okay. something. Then I ran Mac. I said, have you got a high-powered torch and a pair of trainers and old trainers? Because my feet, I was barefoot at that yeah. point. My, the, the things I was wearing had ripped off in the in the rocks. Uh, so he, uh, once um, I got checked over by the ambulance service, he drove me back to Renmore, my home place. And as we were leaving Furbo, uh, Justin, the boat builder, who'd come over for the, the homecoming or the arrival, Chris, my land support, and Gussie, who they were all staying together, uh, they were staying at Gussie's house, were arriving in Furbo. Okay. And then uh, as they were leaving, so they just wanted, Justin wanted to see what was happening and okay. seeing if he could protect the boat, and they did what they could. Uh, the Olivers, which is a local family in um yeah. The Clada, who work on the, they were actually on the um, Coast Guard rescue boat on the way out to me until they got pulled, um, got notified to come back. Right. Uh, thankfully, because there, there was no need. But um, so they came out to Furbo and they brought a load of tires and protected the the boat. And then a load of locals the next morning helped as well. Um, and you feel that attachment with it. You want to protect it. You don't want oh, to. Yeah. You don't want to lose it. It's been so important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I I must say, like I when I that night like the way it ended I you know I didn't have a great perspective on everything and I just thought failure like I thought it had ruined Did I you, thought yeah. the boat was ruined I thought like yeah I was pretty down now I must admit um, 
but it, you know it, it kind of talking to some people and hearing their perspective kind of gave me much better and can't see the woods from the trees right so can I ask you because I was having a whatsapp conversation with somebody that morning and I was like we were both following the pod and we were chatting away about it and I was like oh jeez I can't believe it he got so close and my mate was like what are you talking about it's unbelievable it's yeah. like he's, he's done it and it was yeah. I'm sure that was maybe what was going on in your head to a degree yeah so. absolutely I was definitely coming at it from your perspective and you know Galway was what six or seven miles away and yeah. you know washing up on the rocks and like I just couldn't get I had this really clean image I suppose of the finish you know and this almost romantic image yeah. even though you could argue the other way is a bit more romantic yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and that's and hearing people talk about it that way just gave, gave me clarity a bit more you know um, of a kind of a better overview on what happened and, and just uh, was able to kind of come to terms with it a bit easier like much easier actually just hearing people talk about that like yeah that was probably a a better way to finish I don't know but uh, well you'll never know and no. that's, and that's gra- as you would say that's fine yeah. you, you live with that Your um, the, the visualisation was the thing that you kept talking about all the time mm. and as, but maybe that was part of the attachment as well even outside of the heroic nature of being able to do the thing of rowing in there but that visualisation that was almost it felt at times like a magnet yeah. that was drawing you forward a lot and then suddenly you know, it's a big accommodation then to have to say, well, that, it's not happening that way. Mm, yeah. But it was so much, it gave me so much, coming back to your point, Shane, like about, you know, when I was at my lowest, like, uh, there were some things I had to turn to, right? And that those images that I had used for so long to, to well, to make the project happen. Um, and and then in, in those moments became so important because, well, emotion, they're emotional, right? And emotion is energy. And I was able to kind of uh, leverage that emotion and, and those imagery and get energy to kind of do what I needed to do every day, which was put in the work to get the boat to, to go away. So I was very attached to them, you know, and they came up a lot for me. There was, there was actually times where I think I was so bloody tired that I actually couldn't... Um, uh, I couldn't access the, the depth of the the imagery that I had from before but that was just something that came up for me but it was always I was always leaning towards them and, and I and, you know it was always a very helpful tool to have and the other thing was just gratitude like you know just been grateful for the opportunity and it's a privilege to do it and you know been grateful for the small little things I had a, you know I had a safe cabin you know I was, I was always trying to um, give myself a better perspective on what I was doing because it's very easy to get sucked into the you know uh, victim mentality oh my god so hard why is it so hard so I was always trying to cool, kind of uh, get a better broader view of what I was doing and how lucky I was to do it and the little things I had on board you know oh well I have food you know I mean you know you know some people don't have that right so so it, that that helped a lot as well in in those moments of kind of despair it's it, it's funny the word that the word inspiration is kind of bandied around and thrown around so often it almost becomes a little bit um cliched but you reference the people you know clambering for you when you when you get off the boat as well in in, in Galway but even even like myself, I remember watching some of your old videos, you know, climbing Aconcagua and Kilimanjaro, and I have to say, myself and, and a couple of my mates probably only climbed, we did Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago, probably only did it based on your videos. Right. <laughs> Visited the Amani Children's Home as well, which I know oh, you, you raised money for, yeah. probably only because we heard of it through yourself. Yeah. But, like, are, you, are is that something you're you're now aware of? Are you, are you more appreciative or aware of... The, the inspiration that you might have on other people. I know the social media aspect probably gives you a fair idea, but yeah. there's a real tangible impact you're having on other people, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I find it hard to access it. I must say, like, I, I love, like, I mean, the words are lovely and people say really nice things, but, um, and I don't know uh, if this is the right thing or, or but I, I kind of, I let it go, like, you know, I don't get caught up in it too much or, um, like, say, for example, when I, 
when I make a podcast or do one of those videos, I, I never think about it again. I never go back and watch. I just try and be as authentic as possible and kind of give people an insight into the story because I, I find that, uh, well, clearly I, I like challenge and I think it's a really um uh, for me anyway it's an important thing to bring into my life and it gives me a lot so I'm just that's the thing I'm trying that's the message you know I'm trying to uh, I suppose convey like in, on, a, on a broad scale is to you know find something you love in life and challenge yourself through it and it'll give you lots you know so so once I feel I've kind of hit those notes uh, I'm pretty happy with it and anything else that comes from it great you know and uh, but yeah in terms of kind of I do I do struggle to connect with that whole like uh inspiration thing like I just again just try and try and be authentic and if if I am that's enough for me like and if people get something from that fantastic you know Mm-hmm. I definitely felt listening to you this morning and listening to the podcast that it was just all a metaphor for something. Obviously, you're you know I'm doing it as I'm going about my day. I'm listening to what's going on, and you're having a very different experience of that. But I certainly felt as if all the different challenges were a metaphor for something else. And again, kind of listening to you, maybe the same thing kind of this morning. What's the plan for Kushla then? Will you like leave her? You leave her be for a while anyway. But yeah, we will get her fixed up. Um, back to Justin who built her. Like it just, I mean, it's a testament to his building again. Um, something I was conscious of with the with the end in mind here is to you know you get people involved in your team who are passionate about what to do and love what to do and he just absolutely loves building boats and he does it breed to the highest quality mm. puts his heart and soul into it so get it back to him he'll fix her up and then we uh, we kind of so Project Empower was the name of the the, the, the project and, and we want to use what we've kind of built you know I, I think um it's got a good following and uh, it can be it's a platform now for people to row an ocean and um, kind of what you alluded to there I, I feel uh, rowing an ocean is like a condensed life of challenges you know so if you have that experience it, it gives you a lot to deal with every day stuff that comes up when you're back in land you know so it's a great I feel it's a great thing to do I think everyone should row an ocean it's not going to happen um, but Easy, yeah, yeah, yeah you know it's it gives you great perspective on life it's it's humbling um, and uh, you get to kind of get to know yourself a little bit better so we're going to use that platform to try and you know get uh, other people um, or give them the experience anyone who's interested in doing it so is Everest is Everest I know the, the whole Everest expedition COVID yeah. got in the way the last time like is that is that a case of unfinished business in your head or what's the what's the I know the seven summits yeah. in particular is something you're, you're mad keen to, to finish so yeah. where where is Everest in your in your head at the minute uh, yeah I want to I want to achieve it I want to stand on top of the world I want to have I want to challenge myself through it like I find mountaineering quite it's a total different beast to um, ocean rowing it's uh, because there's like extreme physical and mental peaks in uh in mountaineering because they lack oxygen you know so you go into those states of hyperventilation that whereas ocean rowing is just this relentless beast um so i want to i want to challenge myself you know i'm trying to get to the highest point in the world and um yeah um kind of timeline i'm not pushed with it right now i'm like i'm thinking two three four years you know whenever i kind of um raise or re refine the emotional energy to start a new campaign you know the training and the obviously the fundraising and all that it's uh, it's it, you need that you know you can't go into it half kind of hearted or or half full of energy so yeah just it's probably the next thing again you know get back there and, and give it a good go but uh for now um you know i'm, I'm not pushed on timelines with it 
Yeah, well, we're not going to push you on it this morning either. <laughs> uh, thanks, William, for coming in. I'm sure there's loads of stuff that there's a million different things that we've never got to and that we're never going to get to, but I'm sure there'll be some, something else. The documentaries coming out. Documentary. There might be a book on Yeah, the hoping, hoping to write a book. Uh, well, yeah, that I'm starting pretty soon yeah yeah okay yeah. well look, we look forward to all that it's been brilliant catching up with you I'm sure you've uh, loads of people to catch up with loads of world events that have happened I'm sure over the last yeah. while as well that you're like oh did that <laughs> oh she's she's de- oh she's dead okay and foods foods, <laughs> foods to catch yeah. up on you think more than, more than just supermax yeah, exactly <laughs> brilliant Damon thanks a million thanks, thanks a lot guys. Guys. you can check out uh, as Damon said his project Empire if you want to check out his social handles to get all the details on that how you can get involved you can donate to the chosen charities and uh, keep an eye out for that documentary upcoming as well and Deep Roots podcast uh, brilliant listen and uh, plenty in it if you want to go back even if you haven't caught it in real time OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar